Good morning. Good to see you all on this beautiful Sunday morning. Let's look at our announcements together. Verse of the week. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Luke 6, 28. Elder Jared begins a new series on body life, the connective church, 930 Sunday morning. Might I just encourage you, if you don't come, uh, it's going to be a great series. Jared's a gifted teacher, and the subject matter is timely. So I want to encourage you to come out 9.30 Sunday morning and be with us and learn. Good time of discussion, and uh, I'm sure you'll receive a blessing for coming. Pilgrim's Progress tonight, chapter 24, bring finger foods and some pop. Prayer meeting this week, uh, Dr. Sproul's fifth lecture on the burning bush. Moses and the burning bush. Note there about Al at Ferguson's uh, move to room 45, uh, receiving physical therapy. Uh, on the foyer table, that's the one directly behind the baptistry. Um, Sign-up sheet for the series by Justin Peters. That was the uh, family conference, uh, Health, Wealth, and Prosperity Gospel. Uh, so uh, make use of that. You'll see again, note that we're streaming. We're few in number. I suspect that some are watching even now from our uh, members and hopefully uh, some others taking advantage of that. So that's thornvillechurch.com. If you have a friend, uh, you can pass that on. New acts and facts are here. Take advantage of those. Use those, pass them out. All right, anything I've missed this morning? I want to welcome our visitors. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Thanks for coming by. Um, I'll direct you then to the scripture for meditation. That's John 13. Read verses 1 through 17. 1673 in the Pew Bible. John 13, 1 through 17.
you'll stand with me, we'll open our service in prayer. Tom, could I ask you to open today? Thanks. standing. Please take your brown hymnal this morning. 87 was our first hymn as we worship the Lord in song. 87. May Jesus Christ be praised. When morning gives the skies, my heart Five hundred and twenty-eight in the same hymnal. Five hundred and twenty-eight. 
I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me, and he led me in the way I ought to go. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love. But I'll never know just why he came to save me. Till someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for Please be seated. The scripture reading this morning is taken from Luke, the sixth chapter, and we'll read verses 20 through 36, 1600 in the Pew Bible. Luke 6, 20 through 36. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they ex exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the f their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. 
But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love, who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. I ask that the Lord would bless the reading of his word. Please take your brown hymnal again, 67 this time. 6, 7, again in the brown hymnal. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. All of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall when men who hear refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call God's love so pure shall still endure all measureless and strong redeeming grace to Adam's race the saints and angels song. All love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Could we with deep the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the 
scroll contain the whole, the stretch from sky to sky. All love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and Scripture text this morning is Luke chapter 6. Last Lord's Day we delved into the subject, the hurt of abuse. And we discovered that in some ways the term abuse is abused. <laughs> It is abused because it is overly used. People call abuse what would not pass muster in God's army because it is psychobabble from the world. Every pain and anguish that comes into people's lives is not attributable to abuse by others. Some pain is just the consequences of living in a sinful and cursed world. Real abuse, however, does exist, and we looked at that. It centers into the two polarizations of society. The very young, that is children and infants, and on the other end of the spectrum, the elderly. Two categories of the population which, because of limited capabilities, cannot defend themselves or protect themselves from unscrupulous behavior in others. So we need to be aware of that and be careful. God warned his people in, the, in his word not to harm their children, not to sacrifice them to pagan idols. They were also instructed to revere and honor the aged in their population. You know that pretty much about Oriental cultures, that they do honor the aged. But boy, we're losing that in America. We also looked at the subject of how Christians are abused, that category, which is seeing a proliferation in our day, sometimes unwittingly by those who persecute us, unwittingly they're revolting against God and godliness. And so they strike out at those who are trying to live that kind of life. I don't think they even know why sometimes. Then we look lastly at the biblical methods to handle abuse. Number one, define abuse biblically and then act. No sitting on the sideline. What I'm going to say today in terms of unconditional love will feed into that. You see something that's going on that's wrong, that people are being abused, a child, an elderly person, whoever, you're to step in. The story of the Good Samaritan teaches that. Secondly, no personal revenge, but you are to report the person doing the abusing. Uh, why? Because they're probably abusing others that you don't know about. 
they're abusing you, it's going on elsewhere. Number three, flee if you must and if you can. This is sometimes not possible with young children. That's why neighbors have to step in, family has to step in. You see these kind of things going on. But if you're able to get out of a situation, do it. And then fourthly, commit yourself to God as the shepherd of your soul, as Jesus did in his hour of trial. There was no coming down from the cross, not if salvation were to be implemented. But what he did do, what he could do, he did. And that is he committed himself to God and asked God to intervene and sustain him. Well, today's study in the subject, uh, Hurting Souls, is the subject of the hurt of unconditional love. And as we come to this subject, let's ask the Lord to be our teacher. Send, Lord, thy spirit upon us as we use the sword of the spirit, the word of God, to bring instruction on this subject. Unconditional love. It is a subject that most people don't know anything about. And we certainly don't experience it much in society. So we pray, Lord, that you would teach us something of the grace. This is a grace that's given to God's people. We're to be salt and light to the world. Well, one of the ways we can be that way is to love each other as Christ has taught us to love. The world looks on and says, My, how they love one another. That was the testimony of the early societies as they viewed the Christians. My, how they love one another. Now they said that while they persecuted the Christians. Lord, may uh, the people of our age say that about us. My, how they love one another. Teach us to love like this, for it brings glory to Christ, unity in the church, fellowship, all the things that we were learning in the adult class this morning. Bless our time now and honor Jesus the Savior in whose name we pray. Amen. We're looking this morning at the subject, the hurt of unconditional love. And if you'll notice in your bulletin outline, the first point is that most of the love we know is conditional. It's conditional. Jesus defines this in our text. Luke 6, verse 32 if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Well, since we're all sinners, we know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. From the days of our youth, we have learned to appreciate and love people. Think of parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, close friends, and so on. We have learned to appreciate and love people who were demonstrative in their love for us. Isn't that true? It was so obvious. They spoke kindly to us. They put food in our stomachs. They clothed our back. We had a roof over our heads. They gave us gifts. They complimented good behavior. They chastised bad behavior. They listened when our hearts were full of sorrow. They encouraged us when we were depressed. They helped us when we got into things over our heads. These are all tangible expressions of love. It's easy to love people like this. You don't have to work at it. 
Their love draws out your love. If they love first, you reciprocate. We all long for love like this. But as good as this kind of love is, it can be nothing more than conditional love. What is conditional love? Simply put, conditional love is love that is rooted in reciprocation. It says, I will love you if you love me. In other words, there is a string attached to it. We do not have to think about this type of love. It is the love with which most of us are familiar. We love those who, in Jesus' words, love us. I can walk through the Genesee County Mall and pass by dozens and dozens of shoppers, strangers all to me, and I do not suffer from guilt because I conclude I don't love these people. If asked, well, why don't you love them? I can answer confidently because I don't know them and they don't know me. They are strangers, aliens. They might as well be from Mars. And because they are strangers, I can say in confidence, they don't love me. They don't love me. We're just people sharing the space of a shopping mall on a Friday evening. We will likely never see each other again. We're simply two ships passing in the night. And of course, implied in all of this is that love is not needed in that situation. And furthermore, it's not wanted. I mean, if you really want to know, what I want, if you must know, is to be left alone. That is why we get annoyed when the shopper at Walmart who walks off with our empty cart when our backs are turned. There's no love lost there. Where's my shopping cart? <laughs> was here a minute ago, I just turned my back, and in the blink of an eye, someone stole my cart. Really? Your cart? Stole it? become angry, we become belligerent, we become put out. We never think, they didn't know it was mine. That's not what we think. We think, they did that on purpose. <laughs> My thoughts were rebuked one day when I turned to see an elderly lady leaning on my cart as she walked away with her cane hooked over the handle. And I knew in an instant she needed it more than me. You see, conditional love is selfish love. It is love that says, what's in it for me? What do I get if I agree to love you? And as soon as the relationship seems to be one-sided, then love, if it can be called such, begins to cool and the relationship sours, and we, or they, move on. This is Hollywood love. You all know about that. 
This is what the tabloids thrive on. Who is Jennifer Lopez's new boyfriend? Flash, flash, pictures, pictures. Why was Sean Penn seen out with a new woman on Oscar night? On and on it goes. Changing partners more readily than changing socks. Wool in the name of falling in love or falling out of love, as the case may be. Well, it isn't love worthy of the name. Jesus, in our text, calls it sinner love. This is what sinners, this is how sinners love. It is the common love found everywhere in all societies. It is the best most sinners aspire to, and so they seldom, if ever, experience unconditional love. They don't give it, they don't receive it. Now there's hurt in this kind of love, too, when lost, but it is self-inflicted. It's the hurt that comes from unresolved anger, or false suspicion, or unrealistic expectations. It's hurt feelings from hurt pride, often pride that we cannot swallow even to be reconciled, even to reestablish peace. Sinner love is shallow. It has no root. You cross me and we're through. That's sinner love. Sinner love is also fickle. Some handsome guy, some beautiful woman casts a glance our way and gives us a wink of the eye. And we do not reason with God's thoughts. Here's God's thoughts. A scoundrel and villain goes about with a corrupt mouth, winks with the eye, signals with his feet, motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up dissension. Proverbs 6, verse 12 through 14. That's the wink of the eye, the moving of the finger, motion with the feet. Sinner love is completely and wholeheartedly self-absorbed. Not only does it feed on immediate gratification, it expects it. And when that expectation is not there, the love dies as the coals of a fire on a rainy afternoon begins to die. Now, as I said, we all experience this kind of conditional love. We do not necessarily plan it, though some scheme, but we fall into it. It's, it's common love. It's automatic love. It's the love that we know best because it comes naturally to us. You love me, I love you back. If we grew up in a home where our parents loved and cared for us, we just accepted that as normal. If we grew up in an abusive home where love was in short supply and bitterness and anger and rage was the rule of the day, then we may have been and still are maybe in some ways willing to settle for even a crumb of sinner love thinking some love is better than no love. Some adults coming out of abusive homes, live with this kind of hunger and thirst to be loved all the rest of their lives. Why didn't my dad love me? 
Why did my mother leave? But Jesus in our text is opposed to you just settling for any kind of love, least of all sinner love. Instead, he directs us to supernatural, unconditional love. And he does this in a most astonishing way. If you look at our text, he does not say to us, Love those who do not love you, though that principle is hidden in his appeal. What he says, verse 35, you love your enemies. Do good to them, lend to them, that is give, without expecting anything back. And here our Lord lays an axe to the root of the problem. Sinner love is conditional. I will love you if you love me. I will lend you money if you pay me back. There's nothing extraordinary about this kind of love. The world functions this way on a daily basis. Little or no thought is given to the concept of showering someone with acts of goodness and kindness and love when both you and he would count each other as an enemy. Now we're really going to get the test of love here. One of my favorite movies, Les Miserables, the author Victor Hugo captures this concept when the tables are reversed and Inspector Javert, who has been hounding Jean Valjean for years for a crime of his youth, for stealing a loaf of bread, is suddenly Valjean's prisoner. Whew. Turning of the tables. The students in the Paris uprising want the captured inspector killed lest he inform on their insurrection. And Valjean volunteers to do the execution. But, but, instead he takes Inspector Javert to the alleyway, cuts his ropes loose, and sets him free. And Javert cannot believe this is happening. He's been chasing this guy for 25 years or more. He accuses Valjean of planning, oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to knife me as soon as I turn my back. And he offers him a bribe. What can I give you? How much, how much money do you want? And Valjean answers, I want no payment. I don't hate you. Go. You are free. This is what our Lord is saying in our text, verse 35. Love your enemies, do good to them, and you will be sons of the Most High, because He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. The grace of mercy has particular relevance to someone you count as your enemy. 
When David was victorious over King Saul, there was yet a grandson, Mephibosheth, around whom the northern tribes might have well rallied. And we read, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan and son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to him to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. You will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? 2 Samuel 9, 6-8 What was he saying to David? Hey, guy. Don't you know I'm your enemy? Don't you know that I'm in Saul's family? Don't you know that my whole tribe, all the northern tribes of Israel, are opposed to you? Rather, an unconditional love is merciful love. It is God-like love. Listen to Paul's expose of love in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Now you know right away, he's not talking about sinner love here. He's not talking about conditional love. He's talking about godly love. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 1 Corinthians 13, 5-7. Notice, not self-seeking, keeps no records, no score of wrongs. There's no idea here of paying back someone for some evil that they did to you, and so you keep records. No, bygones are truly forgiven and forgotten in unconditional love. And did you catch the shift in direction here with unconditional love? Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always protects? Yeah, it steps in. It intervenes to save, to help a person in trouble. It does not take into consideration such things as, Do I know this person? Hmm. They're in trouble, but do I know them? Is he or she my friend? Or is he or she a stranger? If I get involved, what might happen to me? You see, that's all conditional love. That's sinner love. That's the way the world thinks. And then Paul says, it always trusts, always hopes. I don't think that's a reference to trusting or hoping that men will respond to right 
to our overtures of love, but it's trusting and hoping in God to bless what He has commanded us to do in loving others so that the example of the unconditional love of God might shine forth to an angry and hateful world. The world does not understand unconditional love. It expects reprisals from enemies, retaliation from those that it hurts, etc. Have we not been seeing this in the negative political ads? I'm about sick up to here. I bet you are too with these things. Negative ad comes out. Like response comes from the other side. Let's see if we can out-nasty the other guy. That's conditional love. That's sinner love. If we can give God love. This past week, Dan Cathy, owner of Chick-fil-A Company, went on record supporting traditional marriage between a man and a woman. And an angry protester drove up to the drive through window of one of the stores and he reamed out the young lady attendant. I wasn't going to buy anything. He was just asking for a free glass of water. He said she worked for, quote, a hateful organization. He continued, people have to have their Chick-fil-A anti-gay breakfast sandwich. Always tastes better when it's full of hate. She responded in a kind and gracious manner without losing her temper, without retaliation, without vitriol speech. And she told the man that her company believes in treating all customers, including gays, in the same way. As a sidebar, Mr. Smith, and that's his real name, Mr. Smith lost his job at a medical supply company for whom he worked. Now get this. When the female attendant heard of this, this is national news, so she'd heard of it. She went public to the press to advocate that he not lose his job over this. This is exactly what our response is to be. Listen to Peter's exhortation. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But, now listen to this, do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 through 17. Again, first part of the chapter, 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you, writes Peter, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with a blessing. 
because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 through 11. And the Apostle Paul adds, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 4, verse 6. Or again, Paul, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary... On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, wants a free glass of water, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 14 through 21. And this is precisely... What the young attendant at the Chick-fil-A window did, obedience to Christ and his command of unconditional love. Now back to 1 Corinthians 13 to catch the last characteristic of unconditional love. Love, says Paul, always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Now notice verse 7, always perseveres. In short, conditional love Conditional love now gives up. It throws in the towel. It says, I've had it. I'm out of here. This is because conditional love has limits. If things are not going well, if the person doesn't feel that they are receiving the due attention or consideration or affection they expect in the relationship, there is no incentive to tough it out. Pride enters in, yes. Laziness enters in, yeah, that too. Preoccupation with easy enters in. And as noted, this is epidemic among Hollywood celebrities. They have the fortitude of a wet noodle when it comes to tenacious love. What you read in the tabloid today about so-and-so, you read something different next week. Now contrast this to unconditional love. Unconditional love is determined to love even if the love, get it now, even if the love is not reciprocated. Even if the other party could care less. Even if there are little or no feelings of love. You say, Pastor, you, 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 you now you're talking gobbledygook. Now you say that because you define love almost exclusively with the emotional aspect of love, feelings of love. When Jesus commands us, as indeed he does in our text, love your enemies. Verse 35, 
What feelings of love do you have, or does anyone have for that matter, for an enemy? I don't have love feelings for an enemy. You don't either. We're made in the image of God, by which we mean that like God, our personalities consist of reason, we can think, consists of will, we can make decisions, and emotions, thirdly, feelings, yes. So too, the grace of God displayed in His attributes are not simply confined to feelings. Think about this, feelings cannot be commanded. They just are. They arise from our nature commensurate with what is happening to us. If something pleasant is happening to us, we're happy. We feel happy. If something unpleasant is happening to us, we feel sad. If something dangerous is happening to us, we sense or feel fear. If something wrong happens to us, we feel angry, maybe indignant. There are love feelings, thank God for that. We're not pieces of wood. We're not molecules of stone. We're certainly not sociopaths who act without thought, without feelings. But in addition to love feelings, there are love actions. And our text talks about that. Verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. And it's illustrated by Christ with the idea of lending money, lending without expecting payback. But the example is who? The Most High, says Jesus. Who's the Most High? That's God. How does God demonstrate his love to enemies? He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked, and he's merciful, none of which presupposes love feelings. But they are love acts. In another text, Jesus says, yeah, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. He makes sure that the wicked farmer's crops grow right alongside of the righteous farmer's crops. Paul taught the same thing. We read it earlier. If your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verse 20 and following. This is unconditional love. And this you can do even when feelings of love are not there. You can love others for their good, not your own comfort. You can love them by doing that which is good and right and moral which pleases God. Now if you do this consistently with the same person, Jesus says, 
wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever that investment is that you keep putting into, eventually the feelings are going to catch up. The heart is going to be there as well. Now that brings us to the second point, dealing with the hurt of unconditional love. It's hurtful to love people like this. Unconditional love is like the old Timex watch commercials. I'm really dating myself here. Don Cameron Swayze used to do these commercials all the time with Timex watches. And the slogan was, Timex takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Do you remember, how many remember that? He used to strap <laughs> Timex watches to the bottom of a motor, uh, an outboard motor, spin it around, they'd take it around the lake, they'd bring the motor out, tip it up, and the camera would zoom in on the Timex face of the, of the watch, and the second, you could see the second hand going around, and then the commercial would come up. Timex! Takes a lick and keeps on ticking. Since this love is not based on what you or I get out of it. Since it is more concerned with the other party, unconditional love can often be trying because it demands good out of a bad situation. It's not easy to love someone who is in your face. Right? Who is obnoxiously rude and unreceptive to your overtures of kindness. And unconditional love still is there. And it will stretch your faith. Jesus says, verse 27, Love your enemies. And then he lists three ways in which you can demonstrate unconditional love towards people that aren't going to reciprocate. Here they are. Number one, do good to those who hate you. That's number one. The hatred of the other party speaks for itself. Don't expect kindness, sympathy, compassion, good behavior from someone who hates you. The hate may be justified or it may be contrived, but either way, people who hate you wish you ill and they are happy when you fall. What is more, since they hate you, they expect you to hate them and to reciprocate in the same way they would on any given situation. That's conditional love. They don't love you, so they don't expect you to love them. It is a given that they're willing to live with as a basis for not liking you. Oh, well. <laughs> not going to love me. They don't lose any sleep over it. Imagine then, imagine then the reaction from those who being filled with the compassion of God and unconditional love of God do not respond in this expected way. Look at verse 29. Jesus says, If someone strikes you on, the, on one cheek, Turn to him the other also. 
What would the normal reaction be if someone walked up to you and in anger slapped you in the face? And you said, I mean, you said something they didn't like, you, you did something they didn't approve, or neither, they just hate you for who and what you are as a Christian trying to live an exemplary life and whap, they slap you up the side of the head. I dare say that the normal response would be to slap back. Who do you think you are? Why did you slap me? And before long, the fists would be flying. What a shocker, however, if instead of slapping back, you turn the other cheek. This is passive. It's not aggressive. It is also humbling. It puts a bridle on pride. It muzzles retaliation. And it is so radically different, so stupendously unexpected, that your assailant would scarcely, scarcely know how to react. Oh, oh and, and something else. They would be ashamed. They would be ashamed. Just like that liberal antagonist who rallied against the Chick-fil-A employee when he found out what the world's reaction was, he apologized to the young lady. And he made the statement in the news, I don't see how she could have treated me so kindly when I was so rude. Well, Peter says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 1 Peter 3, verse 16. You're going to win the world with love if you're going to overcome evil with love, with goodness. You've got to be ready for the licks. That's what Paul says. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verse 21. Do good to those who hate you. First way to deal with people using unconditional love. Number two, bless those who curse you. Paul writes, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Romans 12, verse 14. Peter says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with all insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from, from deceitful speech. 1 Peter 3, verse 9 and 10. Now again, I ask the question, is this normal? Is this normal? When someone calls another person an SOB or worse, what's the general response? A war of words ensues, and maybe fists start to fly, or chairs, or tables, or whatever. Solomon makes this connection. Here's what he says. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Proverbs 16, verse 21. You're adding to it. You're throwing wood on the fire. 
Or again he writes, An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered man commits many sins. Proverbs 29, verse 22. Let me ask the question. Don't most fights start with words? With words. David said of the wicked, listen to this. Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You who practice deceit, you love evil rather than good. Falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, O oh, you deceitful tongue. Psalm 52, verse 2 through 4. Yeah, it's, a, it's that tongue. James gives, James gives this analysis. He writes, the tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of our body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers, this should not be. James 3, 6 through 10. Picture then the very supernatural, the very unexpected, the very unheard of display of supernatural love when in response to a curse, we respond with a blessing. What does it mean to bless someone? It means to call down a praise upon someone, to ask God's goodness to be upon a person. It's supernatural love. Of Jesus we read, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return when he suffered, he did not threaten. 1 Peter 2, verse 23. The attendant at the Chick-fil-A wouldn't say, I'm going to get your, when you drive away, I'm going to get your license plate and I'm going to report you. No one said, have a good day, sir. Here's your free water. A blessing for a curse. Number three, pray for those who mistreat you. Jesus taught us to pray this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Matthew 6 Verse 13. Here's a prayer to avoid trouble. Don't allow us to get into a situation where we're in trouble. But now, now, once you are in trouble, how are we to pray? Well, not so much for our deliverance, but for the troubler. What shall we pray? For the troubler. We read of Jesus when they came to the place called the skull. 
There they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Luke 23, verse 33. Brethren, it is only unconditional love that can pray good down upon those who are mistreating you. But that is exactly what we are to do. It's exactly what is needed. Only God can change their heart, not you. And you are there, get it now, you are their appointed intercessor. They think, maybe they think, that mistreating you is even doing a favor to God. You know that they're digging their own grave and that only God can change that. When Abimelech conscripted Sarah into his harem, though he never sexually touched her, you know what God did? He shut all the wombs of the entire nation of the Philistines. All the women, all the wives, stopped bearing children. How long could a nation last without the birth of babies? It was doomsday written over the Philistines. And so Abimelech says to God, You know, didn't I do it in innocence? He didn't tell me she was his wife. I did this in innocence. And God says to Abimelech, in effect, I know that, I know that, and that's why I didn't allow you to touch Sarah. But, Ask Abraham and he will pray for you. And Abraham prayed and the Lord opened up the wombs of all the wives. You still touched her. You still took her. You still sinned against Abraham and against me. And he'll pray for you. And as a result of his prayer, I'll heal your land. Job had to pray for his overly zealous friends who berated him for days. It's all there in these chapters, chapter after chapter, calling him a secret sinner, a hypocrite in his life. And you get to the end of the book of Job and God scolds them. Job is instructed that he must pray for them and make sacrifice for them. And he does and did. And they are forgiven. Brethren, you're to pray for those that hate you and despitefully use you. You're their intercessor. I'm not going to do that. Unconditional love does that. Conditional love says, no way, Jose. Unconditional love says, yes, I'm going to pray. Someone prayed for me when I was such a belligerent brat. Someone touched my life with their prayers. That's how we deal with the hurt of unconditional love. It's going to hurt you to love people like this. I'm telling you. 
Because you see, we want to be loved. We want to be appreciated. Who wants to wear a mantle of hate and bitterness all, all the time from those that you love? When you have to con confront your own family members with the gospel and they come back and vilify you with all kinds of scalding remarks. Oh, you holier than thou and leave me alone and why don't you just go, you religious fanatic, and all these various things. It's going to hurt you. But unconditional love responds in these ways that Jesus teaches us. Our Lord, we pray for those here struggling with these various things. Unconditional love. Wow. It is supernatural. <laughs> no man has this kind of love, but God has this kind of love. Thank God. Oh, God, thank you for your unconditional love. If we had to get right first, if we had to get our act together first for you to love us, well, then hell would be our portion, that's for sure. But the scripture teaches that you came out of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In love Christ came, humbled himself, became a servant, went to the cross. Lord, we don't understand love like that. We're not going to die for our enemies. But God sent his son to do that very thing. Now teach us by your spirit to be the kind of people that love in that similar way that the world may see there is a better way to live there's a better way to love there's a better way than to be consumed with selfish love and all that sinner love that we talked about Lord deliver us from our sin deliver us from our selfishness and for that one here today that doesn't know Christ May Christ find them today. May he draw them to this kind of love. May he dissipate their bitterness and their anger. And may they come into the joy of the family of God. We ask this for your glory and their good. Amen. Our closing hymn, brethren, is number 92 in the brown hymnal. Number 92. stand together as we sing love divine all other loves excelling song uh, a very important message in this song love divine all loves excelling joy of heaven to earth come down fix in us thy humble dwelling all thy faithful mercies crown. let's stand together sing number 92 Oh.
should love us. Even in our salvation, John says we love him because he first loved us. His was a love that changed our hearts. If you're struggling with that this morning, if there's bitterness there and anger there, you just don't have this unconditional love that we've been talking about. Maybe that you're estranged from God. He changes the heart. He gives you the kind of love that he has so that you can demonstrate that to a watching world. Let's work on loving one another like this, firstly in our assembly, but also among our friends and relatives this week, our co-workers at work and all of these various things, that they might see the love of Christ and see that, it, hey, this is different. This, this is not something I'm used to. That'll give you the opportunity to give a reason for the hope that it's good you. See you tonight at Pilgrim's Progress, 6 o'clock. <coughs> we are dismissed. <coughs>